today on Traveling, Max Hartshorn visits once more. And Max is the editor of Go Nomad, and as editor, he just goes nomad. And you are traveling with Paul Leslie and Elizabeth Harriman right here on the American Forces Radio Network and at ontravel.com. Max Hartshorn has gotten back from a magical place in Canada, the Gaspé Peninsula, made famous by, well, I don't know if made famous, Gordon Lightfoot in his famous Canadian Railway Trilogy always says the Greater Gaspé. And I thought, wow, that's cool. I've never been to the Gaspé, but Max has. Max, welcome back to traveling. Good to be with you again, Paul. And Max, tell me just a little bit uh, before we start, just give me a little background on Go Nomad, because you've been there, well, practically as long as Methuselah. That's right. We started in the year 2000, if you can imagine that. Yeah. And I uh, I picked it up in the year 2002. So since 2002, we've published many, many thousands of great travel stories and gotten a chance to travel the world in writing some of those stories. And especially as an armchair traveler, as an editor, uh, just getting a chance to read some of these wonderful stories that people write has been really a thrill for me. Um, so, yeah, we, we're, we're accepting articles. If anybody in the listening audience, any of the uh, American Forces uh, radio audience is a, is a travel writer, has some things to share, we're more than happy to take a look. And we promise we'll email you back for anybody who sends us a query. Well, and we have a couple million people listening to us. You never know. You may get some. Anyway, Max, one thing that I want to ask you about is, you know, we're living in very uncertain times. And before we talk about Gaspé, which I think is a very special part of the world, there's no question about it. Are you noting, because of your global uh, perspective, are you noticing places in the world that like maybe Eastern Canada that just resonate with people and they want to go there? Oh, I would certainly say Canada all across the board has been much more appealing to Americans. I mean, there's so many reasons that aside from security, I mean, these are the wonderful people that are like us that watch the same TV shows and speak similarly as we do, although we were in Quebec, so the language of French is, is predominant. But there's a familiarity and there's an easiness among Canadians and Americans. We're old, we're old uh, amicable, amicable friends. And the other little silver lining is that if you go to Canada between now and whenever, I don't know when it's going to change, uh, it's $1.27 for a Canadian dollar. So you get a heck of a deal. Every time you buy something, you're saving almost 30%. So that's pretty magical. That's very magical. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, that's that's what really makes travel go round. Well, Canada is a great destination. Tell us about the Gaspé, because... That's eastern, it's eastern um, Ontario, or Montreal, uh, Quebec. That's it's right. eastern Quebec, yeah, it's about as far east as you can go. You're, you're really talking about, um, and the great thing about somebody like me who lives in New England, um, you can easily drive over the border, and we drove to Montreal, which is four hours from our house in Massachusetts, and drove up to Montreal, then took a plane from Montreal to Quebec City, and then took a plane from Quebec City to the tiny, small, about 15,000 people live in the town of Gaspé. And just to clarify the name of Gaspé Peninsula, that's the English name. When you're in uh, 
Gaspé. It's called Gaspé Z in the French. So it's Gaspé Z is, is really the, the name of the whole peninsula. It sticks out. It's above Prince Edward Island and below Labrador and, and those other places that are even further up. But it's very far west. So you, you have a great deal of whale watching. That was one of the first things we did. We got out of the hotel in the early morning and went to the end of this wonderful park. They have a beautiful, beautiful state park a national park that sticks way out, a big uh, peninsula sticks out. And there uh, we got into an open boat, a 19-passenger open boat, and got very close to a lot of humpback whales, which was really special. Well, you know, uh, tell us about the, the basically getting there. I know you can do it on the railroad, but that's, it's quite a ways east of Montreal. So It is. It's a, uh, it's a long ride. It will be 13 hours from Massachusetts to drive all the way, which you could do. Um, there are also some ferries you can take um, from the north of Cape Breton. You can take a ferry over. But most people, you know, would fly. I think the most predominant would be to fly out of Montreal, go to Montreal or go to Quebec City, and then take the little hop over to Gas Bay. Or there is a train. There's a CN train that you could take from Ontario or from even from Toronto that goes Right to Gaspé, right to Rem Remuski, which is the town just before the Gaspé Peninsula. You're not on the Gaspé Peninsula in Remuski, but the train does go there. So there's several ways to go. I think it is, it's quite a daunting distance. That's why you don't see any crowds of tourists, even Canadian tourists. You don't see crowds of anything in Gaspé. That's what's wonderful about it. Well, that's a, a strong attraction in today's world. I mean, this uh, concept of over-tourism where... Uh, cities like London and Fran uh, Paris and Barcelona and whatever are just have so many tourists that at least in July and Venice, Italy, at least in July and August, you're just, I mean, it's just almost impossible to move. I remember being in, in Florence in September, Paul, and having it be just dreadful. I just couldn't get way to get out of the city. I mean, I love Italy so much, but, you know, Europe is small and dense and packed and Canada love it. It's so open and wide. And the example I've given to a number of people here is that um, in Martha's Vineyard, for instance, Massachusetts, there's a beautiful place called Gay Head, which is a set of cliffs. And, you know, if you go to those cliffs, you got buses that are waiting in line. And then you got people that only so many people can go at the same time. And you're sort of all jammed up in there and you, you see the cliffs and you're like, oh, that's great. You go to Gas Bay, you see 20 times more cliffs and there's a dirt little path that goes out there and nobody's anywhere. You're absolutely never bothered by having to pay for parking, having to wait uh -huh. in the traffic jam. It's just magical. And there are some sites in, in uh, Gas Bay, like the Pierce Rock, which we used on our on the as the header photo for our um, our story on Go Nomad. There's a big story on Go Nomad you can check out if you're interested in Gas Bay. And that Pierce Rock, that dramatic thing sticking in the middle of the ocean, right on the ocean there, was just a great example of some of the stunning architecture or landscapes that you get a chance to see in Gas Bay. Well, and of course, since we're thinking about fall travel now in the in the not too distant future, uh, Eastern Canada has some of the best fall color on earth. And as you say, none of the crowds. It does. And, you know, we went out, but one of the other things we did, which was such a wonderful part of the trip was we, we took a, basically most people who go to Gaspé, it's a similar trip to what you would do 
if people go to Nova Scotia. Many people take that outward road that goes around Nova Scotia, goes all to the beautiful little places in Nova Scotia. And the same thing, there's a road called 134, and you travel that the length of the entire Nova, you know, of uh, Gas Bay. But in the middle of Gas Bay, there's a park, another national park, and you can take a hike and you can get within 20 feet of a moose which blew my mind to see that we, my partner and I were so amazed by these moose, three moose, as close as a cow in a field. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, but then you'll have to breathe moose breath. Oh, it was wonderful watching those moose and seeing the vistas. You know, you don't get a chance to see that. I mean, I've, I've seen a moose once in New Hampshire really far away, but this was up close and personal and 360-degree view of nothing but nothing but just forest you know it's just there's just not very many people there i think ramuski has about 40,000 people and that's just barely on the gas bay and then the town of gas bay which is where you, a lot of people would start uh, it was only 15,000 residents so you really you're looking at a very very open wide open place and i think september october will be a great time to go to gas bay don't go in february and in march unless you have a snowmobile paul um, I've heard that about Canada in general. Uh, I know the Canadians are a little sensitive about being thought of as the frozen north, but it is north and it is cold. There's no question about that. Uh, but, you know, I want to go back to moose for a minute. Be very careful. Anybody who's listening to this, even a Canadian moose, as kind and careful as they are, they are incredibly dangerous animals and unbelievably fast. That's true. Yeah, they're faster than they look. But these moose we saw were so busy eating, they never barely even looked up. They didn't want to give up one of those weeds they were eating. Ah, so they, ah. they were very happy on the trail. And apparently people have been hiking this park for many years. Now, the other thing about, about Gas Bay, it's a real camping destination. And some of the campsites, Paul, boy, talk about dramatic. You drive over a, you drive over a vista and you look down, there's a campsite overlooking the ocean. Oh, so many places to camp that are overlooking water views. Only problem is a little bit like California. You know this. You don't really go in the water. We have noticed that, well, it's not known as the frozen north for nothing. Uh, yes. It's the frozen north with ice cubes. Yes, but like, like Northern California, nobody's jumping in the water in San Francisco. <laughs> and nobody's jumping in the water in Gas Bay. In fact, we took a kayak trip. And uh, I was a little afraid we might tip over because it was darn cold in there. But uh, we survived, and there was seal all over the seals all over the place. In fact, that's one of the problems. They say there's too many seals because of our friends Paul McCartney and Bridget Bardot, who made everybody want to protect the seals. So if you ask a, a Quebecois about seals, they'll say there's way too many seals. They're eating too many fish. And so people do eat seal up there, among other things. I've had smoked seal. It's quite good. It's nice and rich, a lot of protein in there, that red meat. Well, it is. You know, just a strange aside that scientists now say that Inuit, who live almost totally on nothing but meat and fats and whatever, have special digestive enzymes that allow them to live that way, that uh, you and I probably need a few more veggies. But um, it's a Interesting thought, isn't it? Anyway, um, one of the things about Gas Bay that I remember cruising in the, into the St. Lawrence, and the Gas Bay is all that land to the north. Is that correct? 
Um, well, you know, it's bordered by the, the, the gas bay has two sides. The north, north is the St. Lawrence Seaway. And that is that opens up into a very, very wide, wide area that goes right out to the Atlantic Ocean. And below um, the that is a river. And I'm just spacing out on the name of the river. But there's basically a river below. And then above is that St. Lawrence. And one of the things that happened in that St. Lawrence River, which was very interesting, and we learned a lot about this, and we went to one of the museums there, there was a terrible, terrible tragedy that happened in 1914, which was the Emer the it was a ship called the Empress of Ireland. It went down in the St. Lawrence right off of the coast of Ramuski, and a thousand people died in that terrible tragedy. Wow. And and they were mostly, sad to say, they were mostly Irish immigrants going back to Ireland because they had given up on the Irish experience here in America. So these poor people were trapped in the bottom of this boat. They smashed into another boat in 1914 in the middle of the night. And this thing went down really fast. And there's a very amazing museum that is dedicated to that tragedy and to the many other uh, nautical things about that part of the north coast of Gaspé. I'd highly recommend this if you like history. And it's just one of those things most people don't really even know about is this, this, this disaster that took place in 1914, just before World War One. Well, uh, speaking of disasters, I think one of the worst maritime disasters in history was on the Mississippi River, I think, one of the you know, old riverboats in the 19th century. Uh, but you're right. You come across these things, and that to me is not, I shouldn't say one of the joys, but one of the really interesting things about traveling to places like Ramuski or or Gaspé or, or even smaller towns, you learn that they have histories. People live there. People prosper there. People don't prosper there. And sometimes they have really fascinating histories. You say, my gosh, I wish I knew about this before. So I'm sure that your trip to Gaspé was in a similar vein. We're talking with um, uh, Max Hartshorn, who is the... Uh, Max, now that you know you've asked me to pronounce your, correct, your name correctly, it's Max Hartshorn. Is that correct? That's right. You got it. Are. Well, I just like to be precise on these things. Editor and uh, one of the principals of GoNomad.com, one of the really interesting websites that you can visit and great for the armchair traveler as well as someone who's planning a trip. Um, Max, in the Gaspé Peninsula, uh, you flew obviously from Montreal. It's quite a schlep. So once you're there, uh, what are do you want to spend like a week there, something like that? That's what we did, Paul. Yeah, we flew. It's not that long a flight. It's a it's an hour from Quebec City to uh, from Montreal to Quebec City, and then two and a half hours out to Gaspé, which is at the end. Um, I think most people would like to do what we did, which was to take that circumnavigation, where you really, you know, you get a chance to do at the first day you're at in Gaspé, and you do the wonderful whale watch. And you know, it was a real experience this whale watch because it poured rain and poured thunder and lightning and rain on an open boat, and we were just drenched. 
first. But, you know, these whales were so close, we couldn't resist, and everybody was happy at the end of that. But after that experience, you drive up north and then around, sort of you drive west, and you hit um, St. Saint, Saint Anne de Mont, which is a, where you can go into the national park and do some ex- hiking and exploring. And then we kept going and then found some of these museums. I mentioned you're talking about history. Uh, many people who visit Nova Scotia learn about the history about the Acadians, who were the settlers in uh, Nova Scotia, who in the uh, 1600s came to Nova Scotia, and in the 1800s, 1700s, were kicked out by the English. And that's why there are uh, Cajuns and Acadians in New Orleans and in many other parts of Canada, because they were expelled by the English from Nova Scotia. Well, there's also an interesting history about uh, Acadia in Gaspé. There's a museum called the Musée Acadien, and you learn a lot about history of the Acadians in Gaspé, and I thought that was a wonderful stop. Another place that, again, just sort of, I think a, a solid week would be a perfect uh, amount of time. We were we were never bored, and we kept rolling along from these, you know, every day we'd have a different destination, and it's fairly big, you know, it's a fairly big area. But um, definitely that was a good, I would say that, you know, six to seven days would give you a chance to go around the whole whole island, take in the various museums, see some of the different historic sites. Um, you know, we also discovered a neat place they call, it's called Explorer And you go to Explorer it's, it's toward the beginning of the trip. And they have a boat that takes their visitors who are going to the museum, takes you out into the St. Lawrence, and they show you all these different things about the ocean and about how the scientists work in the ocean. Then they have a really wonderful aquarium with all of local fish in it, all the local fish and crustaceans that are native to there. They even have a blue lobster, which is pretty rare to find a blue lobster. Well, but not, only, have... not only that, it's amazing that there aren't more because it's so cold. Oh, that's right. I just couldn't pass that up. Sorry about that, Max. It's okay. Um, and I'd also recommend, you know, some of the dining there. Um, we really found seafood was just extraordinary. I mean, I love seafood more than anything else. And I think they do, I mean, this fresh seafood that they get there, it's fresh as you can get. And there's fish, there's fishing is still the really the biggest industry besides tourism. So you have a very active fishing community. Although the interesting thing is that many years ago, this was a place that people caught cod, just like Cape Cod on Massachusetts. And in 1992, they banned cod fishing because there had been so many foreign fleets coming in and basically scraping the coast, taking all of the fish in such huge quantities that it wasn't sustainable. So in 92, a lot of people in Gas Bay and in other parts of Quebec lost their jobs because they no longer were able to fish for cod. So they have some interesting history about that in some museums that show how the old cod men used to dry the cod. I mean, the cod were as big as a man. They would pull out five, six foot cod. It was amazing. And now the fishermen go out for snow crab as well as turbo and seal and other species that uh, that aren't endangered. So they're really trying to push people into considering consuming uh, sustainable um, uh, species, which is we've really got to learn this as a as a planet. There's so many species that are that are in abundance that nobody eats, and there's other species that have been fished so badly that they're not going to come back. So the fishing has changed up there. Lobster, you still get a lot of lobster, a lot of local shrimp, turbo. 
and and wonderful different clams and so forth. But uh, the cod is really not around as the way it used to be, and that made a big impact on folks up there. Well, and uh, there's so many conflicting theories, even among very reputable scientists, about why the cod disappeared. One that I've found very interesting, and it applies to several species of fish, is the fact that maybe only the really big cod bred. In other words, you had to be a big cod to be able to force your attentions on smaller cod, let's put it that way, and that that may have affected the the size of the population. Hard to say, obviously, I and I know very little about it, but the cod is only very, very slowly coming back and not in commercial quantities, as I understand it. Is That's that, correct. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, and they never catch cod as big. I mean, I think sports fishermen can catch cod now in small quantities, but, I mean, they have some old photos in, in, in some of these museums that they stuff that people, they're pulling out these five-foot cod, and that was just, it was so abundant. It was like they say, you know, when the pilgrims came to uh, Plymouth Rock and they made them eat lobster and they had so much lobster they couldn't get rid of all the lobster. And now if you're in Massachusetts, the lobster has gone way down. In fact, it's very sad that uh, Connecticut has almost no lobster Massachusetts has few lobsters, and even Maine, they're going further and further north because of the temperature of the water. Um, the other thing that's happening, which is kind of like a typical thing that's happening in these days, is that the Chinese are buying, they're eating and buying any lobster that's possible, so that every single pound of lobster is being exported to China uh, without any regard for how much it costs. So that's another big factor uh, that the, the Chinese market, they're becoming very fond of lobster. And when the Chinese become fond of anything, watch out, there's not going to be much left. There are just so many of them. Uh, well, and, and that's true. It's sort of food as a status symbol, I understand. That's exactly. happened with French wines, with a whole range of things. It's not so much that they like to eat them. They eat them because they're expensive. Um, exactly. Yeah. And, and I guess that's, you know, that's true for every culture. Let's let's face it, you know, caviar is still popular in the U.S. and things like that just because it's very expensive. Uh, yeah. You know, one of the things I want to ask you about, about Eastern Canada, and that is that the language, you mentioned that it's French. And what I've discovered is the more you get into rural uh, Quebec, the more French it becomes. Is that yeah. true of the Gaspé as well? That's very true. Yeah, that's very true. What I mean, I found that um, we would go to a restaurant, a couple of restaurants we went to. And unfortunately, I've been to France a number of times and I'm pretty comfortable talking in French. And so I had to order in French. Uh, but, you know, if you're dealing with anybody as far as like a public servant, a person who's a police officer or a tour operator or a hotelier, they'll usually just switch to English pretty quickly. But there is a definite, uh, you know, they don't have, you know, bilingual signs. They just have signs in French. So you see that all over the place. And it's, it's funny because um, if you go to British Columbia, they have the same thing, the bilingual signs and stuff. But not anybody speaking French. But in this part of Quebec, they really are speaking French. And you hear it all over the place on the radio. You hear people chatting in French. Um, but there's so many times that, you know, they're used to Americans and they'll just quickly switch to English. It really didn't present any problem at all. I mean, there's a couple of times where it was helpful that I knew how to ask these questions. But um, for the most part, um, the Canadians are so friendly. It is never really presented much of a problem. And I'd like to try to honor them by speaking as best I could in French. It was fun. 
Oh, I think I think that is the first one of the first rules of travel is always make an attempt to speak the local language. Learn two or three words, you know, if if nothing else, um, uh, especially the word for bathroom and thank you and things like that. Very very important in German. Voester Bonhof. Um, you know, they're very very important small words that it's important to know. Also, thank you and. Yeah, and the French are very polite people, and um, it's always nice to say bonjour, you know, and uh, start yeah. a conversation that way. It's it's not they're they're much more concerned with, I think, the social matrix that we all live in, and that's a that actually is a wonderful reason to visit Quebec. Well, yeah, I, the the, the, mis the mistake people make is they start talking English right away without even asking. Can I, do you speak English? I think you should give people the courtesy of saying bonjour, uh, parlez-vous français, parlez anglais. Parlez anglais okay. right. Well, you yeah. know, if you want to find out more about uh, Max's trip to Gaspé and all of his travels, check out gonomad.com. Max Hartshorn is a true contributor here to... Uh, traveling and we're appreciative of his efforts and uh, we'll talk again max thank you so much for joining us always a pleasure paul on to portugal next we'll look forward to that and you have been traveling with paul lasley and elizabeth perriman right here on the american forces network and at ontravel.com i'm paul lasley as always travel safe